Hello, and welcome to another edition of Queer Slam. I'm its producer, Colby Holt. Today's episode was recorded live on April 25th, 2022, over Zoom. We begin today with a short and sweet open mic before getting right to our headliners. First is Gabriel Karnick. She is an award-winning poet, film director, and cinematographer. Her works have been published in Calliope Magazine as well as Scholastic Art and Writing multiple times. She has two manuscripts currently in competition, the latest being A Cacophony of Silence. Gabriel's film work concentrates on queer and social justice-oriented stories and is available on Amazon and YouTube, and you can find out more about her on Instagram at Gabriel Karnick and on her website, gabrielkarnick.com. Next is Kyle Sanders. He is a Kentucky native, a Chicago resident, and a national treasure. He's an alum of IO Theater's School of Improv and a contributing writer for the Chicago Independent Radio Project, who also writes one two-line joke a day to keep some semblance of sanity. He has performed at other storytelling events such as Outspoken and Do Not Submit and hopes to live long enough to be considered the Fran Lebowitz of Chicago. Before we begin, today's episode does contain profanity and frank sexual talk. So with that, here is our beloved host, Tony Soto, from the Queer Slam virtual stage. Hello, welcome to Queer Slam. This is the live queer storytelling poetry evening that is also a podcast available anywhere podcasts are streamed. I am your fearless leader, Tony Soto. Before we get started, I want to give a big old shout out to everyone that came out to learn the words, bitch, at Oasis in San Francisco on 420. That's right. I've officially taken my very popular LA-based show on the road, and we did our first show um, at Oasis, Oasis Bar in San Francisco, and it was lovely. I had such a great time, and it was really, really nice to, um, it's always really, really nice for uh, a DEFG celebrity, uh, like myself, uh, to meet people who actually take the time to listen. So I want to give a shout out to the people who came and said they listened to all of my different podcasts, enjoy me as a drag queen, and so forth and so on and whatever. Um, it's nice. And uh, look out, uh, America, because learn the words, bitch, maybe coming to a city near you. Uh, we shall see what's happening here. Sorry, guys, I have literally watched four hours straight of Snapped today, and um, I'm going to tell you, I think a lot of those women are justified. <laughs> I think there's, there's, there's rarely an episode of Snapped where I was like, well, I mean, I feel like she overreacted. Um, uh, and I'm definitely like in this weird, hold on, I got to find my marijuana. That's what we should do first. Ta-da. Um, I definitely am feeling a little bit weirder and crazier, especially today, because, uh, well, God damn it, I think I'm going to have to stop Twitter. And Twitter is literally one of my most favorite of the apps, because it's one of the ones that's not owned by fucking Zuckerberg. But 
it's in the news, so we should talk about it. Elon Musk has officially bought uh, Twitter for, I think, like $49 billion when he was told that he could solve world hunger for only $6 billion. What a piece of shit. Okay, let me just say this to all you fucking... Now, I'm hopefully, I'm just talking to the gays, because quite frankly, I don't try to vouch for the straights. I don't care what they do. They're not my people. But the homosexuals, the LGBTs... I drove to San Francisco in a Tesla. I don't fucking see it. I don't see it, y'all. I don't see it. I don't see it. I mean, Elon Musk is the epitome of his set white fragility. And if you can't see that when you're driving a Tesla, you a blind asshole. Do you know that that car gets really kind of iffy if something bigger drives past it? That should say it all. That should say it all. What, 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 what is fucking Elon Musk going to do with Twitter? Like, he's never going to learn the real definition of uh, freedom of speech. Like, we have all these fucking dumb people with money. We've all made them rich. Like, let's not, let's face it. We sent Bezos to space during COVID. What else were we going to do? I mean, we couldn't leave. Sure. So let's just buy a bunch of shit. Well, you know what we do now? We quit Prime. We stop. We stop. We stop. We stop giving them our money. What the fuck? I'm telling y'all, it's going to get dangerous. Don't trust this Elon Musk. Don't trust him. Like, this, this guy's a mess. And he's stupid. Have you ever heard him talk? Listen, money doesn't make you smart. All right. Money just makes it a lot easier for you to tell other people to fuck off. Like that's, and that's basically what Elon Musk has done. He got rich enough to tell people to fuck off. And now he is just on a spending spree for God knows what reason. I don't know. End of times, queens. End of times. And you know, I'm a staunch atheist and don't believe in the end of times. But you know who will destroy this planet? We will. We will. And by the planet, I mean us. This planet is going to be fine, y'all. This planet is going to outlive you and me. We're, the, the planet is fine. And honestly, it's itching to get us the fuck off of it. So uh, be careful. I, You know, I saw that show. Uh, what is it? Don't Look Up. That's what it is. The, the Leonardo DiCaprio movie, The Don't Look Up. The only problem with that fucking movie um because you know it was a good movie because everyone was literally like i don't get it it's like you're a moron but the only problem with that said movie was that they made the destruction a comet because as the american or as the human animal we cannot put it in our heads that it's going to be us that does it and we cannot possibly imagine that it will be our doings that ultimately kill us but here's what it is that's going to be it it's not going to be your Jesus. He's not going to play his little trumpet and come back. You know, it's not going to be a comet. You know, what it's going to be is your fucking incessant need to throw away plastic bottles. Let's be real. Your incessant need to not uh, uh, try to um, hold uh, uh, mass fishing companies accountable for choking our oceans, uh, letting uh, Brazilian dictators burn down and sell uh, uh, Amazon rainforests. It's our fault. It's our fucking fault. And listen, sometimes you gotta fucking hear it. Um, okay, yeah. All right, I'm gonna turn the channel. I'm not gonna watch any more snaps today. She's done. Um, but be vigilant, folks. Like, look at this. I, I mean, I'm gonna. I, I feel like I have to keep saying it. There is a war on LGBTQ folks. And I'm going to tell you, that war is being started by rich people to uh, get poor people fucking up in arms so they have someone else to blame but themselves. And it works. 
It works because we're fucking sheep. We're moronic sheep. Um, hmm. Huh. Wasn't where I was going to go today. But what can you do? What can you do? Sometimes you need to, I mean, sometimes I have to vent a little bit. And quite frankly, I like to vent amongst other queer folks because I'm hoping, I'm hoping that the folks that hear my voice every month when I do this show kind of agree with me. Otherwise, uh, what am I doing here? What I'm doing here is I'm holding an open mic for some of the most amazing queer talents that come around. For sure and forever. And so we're going to go ahead and start our open mic portion of Queer Slam today. Um, thank you for letting me get that weight off of my shoulders. You know, when she lives alone, she doesn't have a lot of people to talk to. And then when she does get to talk, it's like to a little green light on your computer into the ethos. When I can actually put some faces to it, I know who I'm talking to. I'm like, listen to me. Uh, all right, well, let's listen to other people because quite frankly, I have had uh, my moment and I'm willing to uh, share the spotlight. So we're gonna go ahead and start our open mic portion with our old staple who starts us every month. We love them very much. Give it up for Gordon, everybody, Gordon. You you were so amazing, Tony. I love you. You. This is my favorite Monday of the month with you, so. <laughs> This is about my sister, Elise. I saw my sister walking down the staircase. She had a baby suitcase in her petite hands. Tears were flowing. My parents asked her, where are you going? I'm running away. My mom looked at the suitcase. What do you have in there? Elise sniffled and opened it. There was a framed picture of me. She cried out, Gordon loves me. We ran up the stairs and I hugged Elise until the crying stopped and she relinquished her suitcase. She was five years old and my bond with Elise was cemented. My three and a half year younger sister was my only friend, but in between our closeness, my devilish character was exposed. One day I was bicycling on our safe back street in Garden City Park. Elise was on skates and held onto the back of my bike. I stopped suddenly without warning. She tumbled to the ground, scraping her knees to a bloody pulp. She screamed at me and I started to chuckle. Another time, we used the detachable tube of a vacuum cleaner to talk. Hey, Elise, can you hear me? Yes, she said, and then I blew into the tube. I heard a shriek and ran over to Elise. Her mouth was full of soot and I laughed. She hollered an affectionate, I hate you. Her life-size doll was staring at me. Elise was with our neighbor, Della. I had paste in my hand. I started applying the paste to the dark brown hair. I wanted my own doll. I ran back to my room. Later, I heard my sister cry, Gordon ruined my doll. I giggled until my mom came after me with a wooden spoon and hit my butt. When I was old enough to babysit, we would spend the evening watching chiller theater. Our favorite was the attack of the 50 foot woman. We smashed pillows against our faces when we were scared. The basement playroom 
was where the black and white television snatched our attention. Only half of the basement was finished, called the good side. The bad side, or the dirty side, was dusty, with bare cement walls and an exposed ceiling. The washer and dryer sat against the wall with a pink painted sink to drain the clothes washer. Dad's tool bench occupied another wall with shiny wrenches, hammers, and nails, and a single bulb tried to light the room. We were convinced the boogeyman lived there. Still, when we entered, we pretended to be living in the frontier, ranchers raising chickens, and we used golf balls as chicken eggs. We were recreating the television series Bonanza. Mom would shout, stop rustling around down there when the noise level echoed upstairs. When dad died in July, 1965, our childhood came to an end. I was 13 and Elise was nine. In November, we were playing Monopoly in the basement when the lights flickered to blackness. Grabbing Elisa's hand, we remained frozen. Before we screamed, a light beamed from the stairs. Mom had come to save us. Mom said, first I thought a fuse had blown. Then I was thinking, this is how I felt when I fainted. Luckily, I found this flashlight. This must be the, a blackout. After moving to the West Coast in 1966, the alliance with Elise continued to flourish. I would take her to double bills at the Oriental Theater. We rushed to see Valley of the Dolls when it premiered at the Grauman's Chinese Theater. And we splurged to see Funny Girl at the Egyptian Theater. We could only afford the $3 reserve seat price in the first three rows. It was like Barbara Streisand was sitting in our laps when she sang, I'm the greatest star. When I turned 19, I told Elise, I'm gay. She quickly responded, I was worried about you. You had no friends and never dated and you didn't go to the prom. I, I didn't know what to think. I was concerned something was wrong with you. I told her, I know we've been so close and I wanted to share this with you. I hated keeping this a secret. I, I didn't know how you, react, you would react. And she told me, Oh, Gordon, you know how much I love you. Give it up for Gordon Blitz, everybody. Gordon! Oh, Gordon, with the touching tale of sibling love. I'll tell you, I wish I had it. I am one of three. I am the middle child, and I have only ever seen my siblings as much unfunnier competition. From the very beginning, I was like, they're not funny enough. Why are we paying attention to them? Um, it's funny because I distinctly remember like when my kid brother was born, because I'm assuming Gordon, that's your old, it was your younger sister, correct, Gordon? Yes, the younger siblings are the worst, let's be honest. Um, I Because like everything was great with me and my sister. We had it on lock. Like I didn't necessarily care about the gal, but you know, we had our thing we had it going and then that third one was born and i remember distinctly i have burned a lot of memories with drug use okay happily mind you and uh, i remember distinctly when the parents brought the third one home 
and set it in my lap. And I was like, how quickly will this break if I drop it? That was my immediate thought. I know it's terrible. I know, I know. Whatever, I'm a solo act. I was meant to be a solo act. I'm sorry. Um, all right, let's keep this going. Thank you so much, Gordon, for sharing with us as always. Um, next up, is it Joshua? We have Joshua? Joshua! Hi, everybody. Um... By the way, Gordon, I'm like low-key obsessed with you and all your stories, so you're like the highlight of every episode for me. Um, hi, my name is Joshua. Um, I'm so glad to be back here at Queer Slam. Um, I'm a lyrical poet and entertainer, and uh, tonight I'm going to be performing a new piece uh, called I Don't Want to Adult, and it's off of my new lyrical album, Ravages of 21. Uh, you can find that on iTunes or Amazon or even look it up on YouTube if you're interested, if you like the kind of stuff that I do. So, um, okay, I'll just start. Okay, so this is called I Don't Want an Adult. My good Judy, never snooty, is a lovely miss. She can steal from you a kiss, then send you on your way because she made your day. Yes, this Judy is a cutie you should not dismiss. But if you ever tried to talk to her, you find out quick what the problems were. I'm too young, I don't wanna adult. The whole thing is just too difficult. Tried it once and it just wasn't for me. My old folks always gotta keep on asking me, huh, just what do you plan to be? But I roll my eyes and sigh, I deep. Okay, I never thought I'd live this long and I can't handle all that's thrown at me. What's with the responsibilities? Can't you let a poor millennial be? This whole adulting I'd gladly abort to smoke inside my blanket fort. No, you're much older. Yeah, you be older because I don't want to adult. Judy's father didn't bother pulling out the rug. To his wife, he'd smile and shrug. My girl will find a man, then our lives will plan. But her mama, prone to drama, thought the girl a pain. She said that woman needs to move on out. I'm sick of her same refrain. I'm too young, I don't want an adult. The whole thing is just too difficult. Tried it once and it just wasn't for me. As kids, we just can't wait to grow up. Now I'm grown and want to throw up. If adulthood were a video game, my profile would fail to load up. Sure, this might create some friction, but please cancel my subscription. For adulting comes with too many fees. They say with age comes guidance, but sheesh, I'm like a dog holding its own leash. No, you're much older yet. You be older because I don't want to adult. I'm too young, I don't want an adult. The whole thing is just too difficult. Tried it once and it just wasn't for me. I'm sure you'll think I'm in denial that my fears are all quite mild, but I run away from life more than I ever did as a child. When it's time to feed, see, I go grab things that appease me. You can bet that fast food nuggets are the result. 
What is it that this world expects a girl to do? I'm too young. I'm only 32. You're much older. Yeah, you be older because I don't want an adult. And that's it. Give it up for Joshua, literally singing my theme song. Uh, that is my new theme song for the Tony Soto Show starting back up after in September. Um, can we just talk about how much of a scam that whole getting older thing fucking is? Do you remember when 30 looked like it was 60? Because they would feed you bullshit. They would say, you have to work hard. You have to work hard. You know what work hard gets you? Lines. Lines in your face. And you know where you don't want lines? Your fucking face. I'll tell you, I'm going back to Clinton, Illinois, where I am born and raised uh, in May. I can't wait to see what the real people really look like. You know what I mean? It's so nice to go back and see what the real people look like. You know, the ones that can't afford the injectables. Oh, uh, my goodness. Injectables. Can we just have a moment for Botox? Thank you so much. Oh, you really have changed it. I'll tell you, those are steps you'll never be able to go back. I mean, if you are truly a fan of freezing your face, once you see what it looks like paralyzed, I mean, you never want to go back. Um, here we go. Where are we going? Who's next? Oh my gosh, Charlie's next. Give it up for Charlie, everybody. So thank you, Tony. Thank you for your rant. And I might just add, you know, if you're concerned about the rainforest in Brazil, boycott those hamburgers at McDonald's. <laughs> that could help. This poem is called What We Learn in School. It was third grade when I started having crushes on other boys. No one knew. My very first fascination came with Steve Jenkins in the classroom next to mine. He was popular, athletic, strong. I stole quick looks at his handsome symmetrical face so he wouldn't catch me. His hands were big. When our classes played softball, he was always the captain, pitcher, umpire. He knew everything about sports and how his body worked. As teams chose sides and best batters, I was always picked right before the quiet, delicate girls. We were last, but had each other and together tried to avoid embarrassment in front of our heartthrob. We didn't have much skill yet, especially not me, naming any true feelings. But I remember the day my words finally came to me. Our school was having a spelling bee and Steve's class challenging mine brought their own chairs into my room. We all squeezed close together. Even though Steve didn't wind up next to me, it was close enough for me to see he was wearing new cowboy boots, boots that shined with masculinity and design. He was happier and more popular than ever before. And I understood all at once that I would never be brave enough to talk to him. And I would never ever be able to wear cowboy boots with such certainty and poise. Thank you. Give it up for Charlie, everyone. And neither should you have to, Charlie. You should be able to wear cowboy boots any goddamned way you want to. I think about this often. Because, you know, what I love about Queer Slam is we get a lot of stories from folks like Charlie and Gordon, who are, you know, our veterans, who are survivors, who uh, made it. And um, I think about um, 
what life would be like or what life would have been like for the older generation if they didn't have to juggle a secret. Like, could you imagine? Like, think about it. Like this whole like throwing like a, let's let's bring it to the the sports concept that Charlie shared with us. You know, you think all you hear is throw like a girl or God, you're a sissy or what a faggot. You know, here's the thing. Maybe uh, maybe these, you know, these closeted young gay kids, if they didn't have to keep their secret, maybe throwing like a faggot is actually a really good throw and you don't fucking know it. You know, maybe you are really good at fucking sports. You're just a little bit of a fucking sissy when you run. Who cares? You're so fast. That's the thing that I think about now. And I think about the importance of like um, a queer slam and shit like this, because we don't know who's going to be listening to our voices in the future. It's forever. It's on the internet. And of course, Elon buys it and gets the fuck rid of it. Um, like you think like take that one dirty secret that they think is a filthy secret out of life. You remove one tiny secret and that opens up potential forever in other things. I don't know how many times I thought I can't do that because I'm gay. Like, oh, I, there's no way I could do this because I'll look silly because I'm gay because I'll appear a certain way. So who fucking knows? Maybe I'm great at baseball. I don't know. That shit flew out the window. I lost it. Who knows? Or maybe it wasn't even there. Who fucking knows? I don't know. I think about this a lot. I feel like I think it's good as uh, as older gay folks to have a bit of jealousy and to covet a little bit from the young these younger gays because they're living a life that you will never know what it feels like, but that you made it possible for them to do that. It's amazing. Amazing. Jesus Christ. All right, let's move on. Guys, that was our open mic portion. Thank you so much. It is so easy. If you want to be one of our open mic performers, it is so simple to do. All you have to do is go to uh, Instagram and follow us at queer.slam. Slide into the DMs because, uh, you know, Colby hasn't felt like a slot in a long time. So will you please just slide into her DMs and uh, tell her that you're interested in her and what she does because she wants to hear it, you know? I don't know about these monogamy gays. I'm just assuming. Um, and it's just that simple. So please share your stories with us because... Your stories keep you alive forever. Remember that. All right, let's go ahead with our first open mic performer. They are an award-winning poet, film director, and cinematographer. Her works have been published in Calliope Magazine, as well as Scholastic Art and Writing multiple times. She has two manuscripts currently in, in competition, the latest being A Cacophony of Silence, um, their film work concentrates on queer and social justice oriented oriented stories and available on Amazon and YouTube. And you can find more at their IG at Gabriel Karnick. Let's give it up for Gabriel Karnick. Nice. That was a good cold read. Thank you. That was good. I adore you. I, I'm going to go fast, but I, I do think there's something really, really valid in, in re-examining like our own internalized toxic masculinity that the new kids don't have. Like what it means to be like, I was hyper masked when I was a kid cause I'm gay, but that wasn't like true. Okay. So I like feel that. Uh, okay. So I have a couple poems. Um, the first is called The Void. Hmm. She spared her air for me. She closed the hatch, cut her oxygen tube line into mine, and we breathed as one. 
Outside the fogging window, we could see debris floating, our engine in pieces, and the Earth, the spaceship we were all born on, floating helplessly in the distance. On the intercom, the distant sound of ground control debating options, deteriorating echo vibrating on a thin supply of oxygen looking for answers, pleading for logic, but we knew it was over. Before they had the balls to say it out loud, we knew it. Defeat wasn't in their job description and because our pulses still beat, they would still look for a solution. They would math, calculate till their eyes crossed. Then the coffee stains leaked through their dress shirts, through their undershirts and began staining their skin. Draw arcs on paper with pencil, write formulas, erase and rewrite, erase and rewrite, erase. They had no choice. Every math problem had a solution and it was in their blood to seek one, but we knew already the numbers didn't add up. Our own owed to the space oddity. Two humans, one ship, O2 enough for, in the cockpit for one hour, already poisoned with a layer of carbon dioxide so thick it could give you dancing light streaks across your eyes to breathe it plainly. Two suits with full tanks on each, but mine was damaged in the explosion and the oxygen wires got too pinched, so when I put it on, I began convulsing, my body impulsively searching, gasping for air, and so she gave me some of hers. My retina's bloodshot, my throat dry, on the verge of vomiting, we stared into each other's eyes. We were never lovers and never true family until in this moment we were both. We said nothing. Speaking would deplete the oxygen too quickly, but we knew, and I tried to tell her with my eyes, thank you. Thank you for staying with me. Thank you for these last two hours of companionship. Thank you for dying with me. I could not ask for a better human to face this next adventure with. A tear rolled down my parched cheek. I tried to raise my arm to touch her, but my body was too weak. In our final moments, I tried to send my love to every unsung hero whose names were never written down in books or given statues, whose memories fade into the black night of truths never known, even to those whose lives they spared or saved for even a few moments more. She felt my soul, my longing, and pulled me to her, a resting hug, conjoined twins cupped in the womb of mortality, searching for a comfortable place, struggling more and more with each ragged breath, preparing to face the void together. A final truth plain in my mind, not everyone dies alone. Um, so this one is called Love According to Eve. That was the longest also, the rest are not that long. The first time I saw you, it was a candle being lit in a pitch black world. My eyes had adapted before you, like Adam, I didn't even know I was in darkness. All right, this one is called Sisters Without Time. And it's um, a couple of years ago, they found out that black holes usually travel in two, which is like they travel together. There's two instead of just one. They danced, two black holes together in communion with one another, almost touching, bending light, finding our expectations and shattering them. They had all the, the needed ingredients to make a wormhole if they could only look away from one another, but they were blinded by family bonds. They shake us, make all the humans in the world sway, the spaceship sail off course, coin around a plastic wishing well. Two powerful creatures poking holes in our reality, getting ever closer, trying to show us, like Eve to Adam, a knowledge we can only dream about. All right, this one is called the orchid sprays. You came back when the orchid sprays were just starting to blossom, carrying soiled baggage from the lives of people I will never know. You laid it out, spread it on our bed and wrapped yourself in it. 
an invisible barrier between us causing a tension that whipped at both of us, a loose cannon of bamboo switches neither of us could control. After the rain stopped and the sky finally cleared, and we were both wounded and crying, I came to you, crawled on the bed over the remains of our preconceptions and grasped your hand, pulling you to me. We began stripping piece by piece the defensive shells we had made around each other, dropping dead and bloodied petals on the ground, losing the past lives that had warped their way onto our bodies so we could see one another, finally, anew and in bloom. All right, this one's just called 91606. There are cracks in the sidewalk where the rain has traced tendrils, bony fingers slacked in pointing, drying, leading to ludicrous destinations using a pattern so mathematically audacious that only God can discern it. I follow them, weaving back down, weaving down back alleyways and up side streets, past barking dogs and broken fences, underneath leaking HVAC systems and under power lines decorated by the memories of grown children long gone, some of whose empty feet move gently in the wind rocking on old shoelaces. I'm being brought home by nature's connection to man-made construction and more so how it cracks. How the trees uproot the accomplishments of man like a spoon through jello. How 200,000 years of human development shatters at the mere mention of nature growing. I am being nursed by the logic of broken concrete guiding me home. This one is called, She Also Rises. It played across her skin like a child let out naked in some South Carolina backyard. It kissed her like a mother, caressed her skin like a lover, held her like the souls of all her ancestors before her, joining forces to protect her. It washed her, made her new, birthed her every morning. It brought open her eyes, lifted her smile and woke her mind. It loved her, though it tanned her skin and dried her lips, it loved her as only a goddess could. This is called a youthful infatuation. There was a moment between waking and sleeping that I felt it. It shot through the dim like blue lightning on a cloudless morning. It hit me, stirred me, a feeling so familiar, so intrinsically linked with you. I wanted to hold it, to harbor it, to coddle it, but I spent years building this protective spell around myself because the fleeting moments where I know you feel it too, where I take your hand in mine and place it against my body and pull you to me with the strength that lights my whole body, chasing those moments is not a logical way to spend one's life. A constant race the wrong way through traffic, 100 miles an hour on the German U-bend, giving up my body, my mind, waiting for one more moment for the you that loves me back. So as my heart cracks and my body fights me, I open my eyes and let you go again. Just two more. <clears throat> this one's called Just Before. In the car, suspended upside down, momentarily, but also eternally. The force of gravity, the power of kinetic energy demanding I comply. And I think it isn't the flipping that is scary. It isn't the hanging in the air, the seatbelt eating into my neck, chafing me. It isn't the falling I fear, it is hitting the ground. And this one is called Lilith, they call her demon. Of dust she was made instantaneously with her husband. They were equal, a mistake it seems, and she was damned for never laying beneath him. 
She dared to ask the eternal question that sealed her fate. Why should women have to bow? That's it. Give it up for Gabriel Karnick, everybody. And yes, why should women have to fucking bow? When a curtsy is so much nicer. Um, you know, I'm going to tell you, just be real honest. Uh, the, the female orgasm must be intense because the descriptive words that you use when talking about love are something that I cannot wrap my mind around. I'm like, come and then go to sleep. You know what I mean? There ain't no energies of powers happening after that. There's just good rest. Anyone else trying to see Gabriel's uh, creative process on their marker board in the back? Anyone else trying to get, see what the ideas were? <laughs> Thank you so much, Gabriel. Thank you once again. All right. Our final headliner of the evening. Our next performer is a Kentucky native, a Chicago resident, and a national treasure. Oh, I love. He is an alum of I.O. Theater School of Improv and a contributing writer for the Chicago Independent Radio Project, who also writes one two-line joke a day to keep some semblance of sanity. He has performed at other storytelling events such as Outspoken and Do Not Submit and hopes to live long enough to be considered the Fran Leibowitz of Chicago. Please welcome Kyle Sanders. Yes, thank you for that lovely introduction that I wrote for you. Um, and hello to everybody else. If you're ever in need of an ego boost, might I suggest changing your profile pic on Grindr? It does wonders. For me, it was in early 2018. I had just returned from a recently joined gym. And as I stood shirtless in the bathroom, washing my face while scanning for those little physical improvements in the mirror, the natural lighting hit just right, peering through the shower window flattering my torso and casting shadows on all the right parts. I needed to capture this thirst trap moment, so I propped up my phone, set the automatic timer, and held an extended flex as the light worked its magic, coldly staring into the camera lens with a piercing blue steel gaze that seductively suggested, sup, you looking? And just like that, a new grinder pick was uploaded. Within minutes, I was fist deep in an overflow of acknowledgments. As I sat there sifting through the one-worded messages of hey, looking, into, checking out all the unprompted dick pics and bussy shots, I stumbled upon eight words that piqued my curiosity. Great bod would love to draw you sometime. I've been on Grindr since 2012, and I've received a lot of different messages in the past with offers and services that would make your taint blush, but never had I been asked to pose for the sake of art. And let's not forget, this is Grindr. I was intrigued, but not naive. With my spidey senses tingling, I needed some assurances that this was for real and that I wouldn't be catfished into a to catch a predator special. From what I found out, this grinder user held regular drawing sessions for a small group of his friends who were former art students. They even had a Facebook group of which I was invited to join. These sessions occurred in the privacy of his house and most importantly, I would be compensated for my time. The more answers he provided, the more legitimate the whole ordeal seemed. And oh yeah, one other thing, I'd be posing but naked. Now, I don't consider myself a free-spirited exhibitionist, 
The only time in my life I flashed any flesh was when I was about four years old at a park in Eminence, Kentucky, when I proudly stood in front of a group of onlookers at a softball game and without reason whipped it out. A flabbergasted woman sitting on the bleachers quickly told me to put it away, that's bad. And I was so embarrassed I ran off and cowered behind a big pile of gravel until it was time to go home. It's possible this lady saved me from a future of registering as a sex offender, but her scold left a great impression on my psyche. And it would take years after this incident to be comfortable even taking my shirt off at a pool, even longer for me to even consider wearing a tank top or shorts that came above the kneecap. It was an early example of associating my body with shame or guilt. But now here I was 20 some odd years later, considering going full Monty in front of a group of total strangers. I agreed to the scheduled appointment, but had no idea if I would actually chicken out at the last minute. The day finally arrived. And at the last minute, I decided to stick to my guns, even though my heart nervously throbbed under the loose fitting clothes I decided to wear, so as not to leave any apparel imprints on my soon to be sketched skin. I cautiously knocked on the door, and was met with a receptive welcome from said grinder guy, who immediately requested I remove my shoes. Barely one step in the doorway and I'm already asked to strip something off. With sneakers removed, I walked into a lovely apartment, immediately noticing a living room with a handful of men setting up sketch pads and canvases strewn across their respective easels, perched in front of a nook with a large bedsheet draped over a bay window, blocking off any outside voyeurs. This guy wasn't kidding. The place looked exactly like an art studio. I was then handed a towel and led to a bathroom so I could privately drop trowel while, the, while they finished setting up shop. I shut the door behind me and began to undress. With my guard finally lowered, I was able to relax, that is for one particular area. In all my life's experiences, I realized that there are only two kinds of men in this world growers and showers. But at this moment, I was neither growing nor showing. My genitals were suffering from a bit of old fashioned stage fright. I tried my best to free my member from its self-conscious shell, shaking it out, thrusting it awake, giving it the old chair, snap out of it treatment. But it stubbornly refused to budge from its dressing room. Having faced utter defeat from a diva-esque dick, I wrapped the towel around my waist and proceeded out of the bathroom, my tail tucked between my legs or more so sucked into my abdomen. I entered the living room and all the men were seated in front of their easels, patiently awaiting my nakedness. What lay before me was a selection of stark furniture in front of the covered bay window, a chair and a lounging bench. Looming over in sinister fashion stood an LED work light to showcase what would be the most dramatic angles of my bare ass. I was then briefed about what this session would involve, timed poses as short as three minutes for a warm-up, then gradually building up to longer poses, lasting up to a half hour for a grand total of two hours of full frontal nudity. The session may have been structured, but the posing was all left to me. Coming from a background in improv, my creative juices kicked in and I immediately chose the wholly original man standing with hands on hips. Groundbreaking, I know. 
With this, the sketching session had begun. No sooner than it started, I realized a big problem with posing, having to stand completely still. While I was able to maintain composure from about all different angles of my body, one, point, one part found it most difficult to stay motionless, my mouth. As a self-titled walking IMDb machine, I couldn't help but chime in whenever the artist's conversation dipped into pop culture. So the other night I was watching Westworld and uh, the one chick, you know, the lead character, Evan Rachel Wood? Yeah, she and uh, what's his face? The, uh, oh, you know, the hot cowboy, James Marsden? Uh-huh. He was really funny in that one Disney movie, Enchanted. At this point, I was asked to turn around so they could get my backside. I wasn't sure if that was because they needed a new position or they just wanted me to shut the hell up. But during this pose, my focus was not so much focused on their peak TV conversation as it was on the canvas that was draped over the windows. Upon further inspection, there appeared to be a slight opening, which left me exposed to the outside world. My heart sunk to the pit of my stomach once I could see residents walking by, which led me to wonder if I could see the tips of their heads it was quite possible they could see the tip of mine. Thankfully, by then it was time to change into a lounging position by locating myself on the bench, the longest pose of the night. You'd think a lying down pose would be a cakewalk, but I soon learned there was a difference between lying flat like a cadaver on the slab and doing my best Kate Winslet and Titanic pose, demanding to be drawn like one of Leo's French girls. Shifting all your weight to one elbow that's keeping your entire body just so isn't easy for an extended period of time, but damn it, I was doing it for the art. Propping my torso at this angle also seemed to bring out my abdominal muscles under the LED light, providing chiseled dimensions for the artist to gladly add. 30 minutes slowly but surely came to an end and I was finally able to shake the blood back into circulation. After the tingling in my arm had stopped and giving myself a good twisty stretch, the session was finally over. And as I put my clothes back on, the artist renderings were revealed to me for the first time. I was fascinated by how every sketch was different. Some had focused on just my face, others on just the torso, and some covered the full enchilada. It was revelatory to me how the version of myself I had seen in the mirror every day didn't match the version that other people see within the first few seconds of meeting me. Those self-inflicted criticisms, those, the focus on all the little imperfections I'd convinced myself were obvious and unattractive didn't exist in those sketches. I saw angles and definitions I'd never noticed before, little details that seemed to enhance my form. Hell, even my penis didn't look as pathetic as I had originally thought. It was just me without the intrusion of my own self-consciousness. Whatever I'd been told was bad about my body all those years ago no longer was true. It was the most liberating experience of my life and all because of an uploaded grinder pick, the perfect ego boost anyone could ask for. Thank you. Yes, give it up for Carl Sanders. Oh, I love our headliners, fresh meat and 
deep. Oh, it's so good that Chicago is still artistic. I remember when I was living there once and I uh, met an artist on the old grinder. She fancied herself a photographer and was like, I like to take pictures of legs. And that just ended up in me getting a hand job. Really, I don't know that pictures were ever even taken, but I do have great legs. So, well, folks. We fucking did it. I know, I know. I kind of started this ride a little bumpy with a little bit of bitchy and complaining. But you know what? I can't always fucking be a goddamn beacon of light. You know, this is what I was telling myself when I did uh, the San Francisco show. Because I'm in, I'm beloved in LA, let me be honest. I'm a beloved drag queen here. So I can sometimes even have an off day in drag here. People will be like, oh, she's a little extra bitchy today, but we love her. But I'll tell you, when I went to San Francisco, I was like, I don't know these people. I have to be nice the whole time. I was exhausted. I slept for days after. Uh, we have come to the end of Queer Sam. I hope you all enjoy this. Remember, it is so easy if you want to perform for us, if you're interested in maybe being one of our headliners. All you have to do is go to Instagram and follow us at queer.slam and slide to the DMs and get that all started. I handle nothing, so I just show up. Speaking of showing up, we will not be on the fourth Monday of next month. Don't worry, Gordon. We will be here. I know I saw her. She almost lost it. We almost lost Gordon. We will be here in the month of May, but we are going to be here on a Tuesday, and it's going to be May 31st, and I will be here, so uh, don't you worry. I looked at my schedule, Colby. Don't worry. I will be here. Um, I am the Tony Soto Show on Instagram, and for now, Twitter. And also remember, you can see all of our back, or you can listen to all of our back episodes of Queer Slam anywhere podcasts are streamed. Please also tune into the Tony Soto Show this week. Uh, well, I don't know when this is going to air, but the Tony Soto Show is done until September. So from May into September, the Tony Soto Show is on hiatus. We're going to come. I'm going to come back uh, in September. And always remember that uh, the Gay Power Half Hour is my 30 minute show, and you can listen to that anywhere podcasts are streamed as well. It is always my pleasure to be here with you every month for Queer Slam. So uh, come and see me again next month. Bye, guys. Queer Slam is produced by Colby Holt with sound editing by Sam Probst and music by Joe Probst. As always, we want to give a big thank you to Reverie, the world's first LGBTQ streaming service, for bringing you this podcast. We'll see you next month. <laughs>